Good day everyone. I hope that everyone is uh, fine, healthy. Uh, we will continue discussing uh, the topic on Presidential Decree 705, the Forestry Code. Uh, just a little recap of uh, the last topic we've had. It was on Section 18 which is about the reservations in forest lands and offshore areas. Along with it, we discussed a part of the national park system, uh, the critical watersheds. So we discussed a part of uh, NIPAS, uh, like Section 4, on the definition of national park. And I also discussed uh, Section 4 of Article 12 on National Economy and Patrimony. The classification of uh, protected areas. The uh, definition of national parks in the Forestry Code. And about uh, Section 18 of uh, uh, the relationship of Section 18 of the Forestry Code with the critical watersheds, uh, which I said these are also covered by the NIPAS law and by the Clean Water Act. So today we are going to discuss Section 19 on multiple use of forests. We partially discussed this as we began PD705. If you will remember, in so far as the utilization and management of forests. So again, we will reiterate that forest lands must be uh, used uh, in a variety of ways. That's why there is multiple use. Why? To have numerous beneficial use of the timber, land, soil, water, wildlife, recreation, etc. Remember in the statement of policy, the optimal use of these resources now i ask you to read the case of pick up resources incorporated versus base metals mineral resources corporation and the mines adjudication board that was decided on december 6 2006 in this case the supreme court considered the harmonization of pd705 and RA 7942, which is the mining law, in so far as multiple use is concerned. In interpreting the multiple use of forest land under sections 2 and 19 of PD 705, it said that timber concession as well as mining operations could go hand in hand in one forest area. RA 7942 recognized the, what is called by the Supreme, Supreme Court as equiponderance between mining and timber rights. Equiponderance, kind of equality in consideration between mining and timber rights, gives a mining contractor the right to enter a timber concession and cut timber therein provided that the surface owner or concessionaire shall be properly compensated for any damage done to the property as a consequence of mining operations. 
I just thought that where is the equiponderance in this case? When there is preference for mining rather than equality of mining and uh, timber rights. It seems that the mining concessionaire contractor have a priority of right over the timber concessionaire. However, be that as it may, Section 72 of the mining law, which provides for timber rights, any provision of law to the contrary notwithstanding, a contractor may be granted a right to cut trees or timber within his mining area as may be necessary for his mining operations. Now, under this provision, the land covered by the mining area is already covered by an existing timber concession. So the volume of timber that may be produced or taken from this uh, timber concession area may be reduced to give way to the mining operations. And uh, another notable uh, basis here why I said that despite what the Supreme Court uh, used as the term of equiponderance, there is actually a uh, uh, preference for mining because in case of conflict between the timber concession and the mining contract, any such issue or conflict shall be determined by the mines regional director. Why not the Forest Management Bureau? Why is it that the law gives it to the Mines, the mines and Geosciences Bureau director to resolve? You can expect that uh, the MGB director will side for mining. The only condition here is that after such preferential treatment and any damage that may have been suffered by the timber concession, there will be a reforestation work within the mining area in accordance with forestry laws, rules, and regulations. Does this happen? You could have asked Gina Lopez during her lifetime. Okay? You've seen it on TV, how she lamented about the behavior of mining contractors. There is section 76 of the mining law also that uh, uh, is relevant also for the concept of multiple use. So here, holders of mining rights shall not be prevented from entry into private lands and concession areas by surface owners, occupants, or concessionaires when conducting mining operations. So you see again the uh, heaviness of mining over forest concession activities. The only condition, you know, when the holders of mining rights are allowed to enter private lands, this is akin to expropriation during the, uh, during the course of the mining operations. The government has practically authorized the mining contractor to take over private lands. That's taking over. In fact, in this section 76, there is a provision for proper compensation for such taking over of private lands. Okay? So, and also the requirement of posting a bond with the regional director 
of the Mines and Geosciences Bureau. And mind you, the amount of compensation may not be to the liking of the private landowner. For as long, according to the law, the surety or sureties that will answer for the damages of the private landowner affected shall only satisfy the regional director. The law did not say that it must satisfy the private landowner. Alright? I think there is a, uh, um, a kind of a misstep here in so far as applying just compensation for the damage. Right? Because in just compensation, you have to consider the actual, the real damages of the landowner uh, based on proof that the landowner may also uh, present. <clears throat> Section 20 of uh, PD705, license agreement, license, lease, or permit. Highlight this provision. Why? <clears throat> because this is a kind of a catch-all for all the succeeding provisions on the utilization of uh, forest and forest resources. <clears throat> No person may utilize, exploit, occupy, possess, or conduct any activity within any forest land or establish and operate any wood processing plant unless he has been authorized to do so under a license agreement, lease, license, or permit. This is the general premise for uh, PD705. In other words, you can be uh, uh, you can use forest lands forest resources as long as you have the permit or license or you have an agreement with the government with the dnr a violation of this provision amounts to a criminal offense so all of the criminal offenses enumerated under this law are anchored on section 20. now Let's go, let's jump to section, uh, by the way, uh, before that, uh, after section 20, you will note several activities like you have uh, sustained yield, you have silvicultural and harvesting system, you have timber inventory, you have the requirement for inventory prior to timber utilization in forest lands. You have a cutting cycle. You have an annual allowable cut. You have a period for a license agreement or license to harvest timber in forest lands. You have the size of forest concessions. Okay. What do these provisions have in common? Or why, where do they lead to? These are quantification of forest resources. You quantify the resources that you can get. You quantify the land that you could utilize. In other words, this is consistent with sustainability and protection. Okay? There should be no depletion of forest resources. So that's why you have to control. You have to quantify. You have to know how much you have within a particular forest. Now, from section 29 downwards, you have incentivization of uh, the wood industry. 
you have the rationalization of wood industry okay and then you have a provision for wood waste weed trees and residues these are all economic uh, resources okay to help the uh, uh, wood industry uh, optimize uh, production nothing goes to waste everything has a value within the forest as we said before and this is about the true value system of the natural resources now let's go to section 33 on reforestation forest lands must be reforested okay now section 33 enumerates the various areas that must be reforested and the and the law uses the word shall meaning mandatory that's why i've been telling uh, uh, my previous classes before that if you happen to see a uh, a uh, forest land with uh, no trees then you must verify if uh, that falls within the uh, areas that must be planted and you can request you can actually write your sendro, the pendro, uh, that these areas must be planted. You will be able to contribute <clears throat> to the protection and conservation of our environment and perhaps uh, be able to somehow, somehow, in our little ways, um, uh, help uh, prevent the worsening of climate change. Now you have in section 33 by the way i'd like you to highlight the last subsection which refers which refers to river banks easements road rights of way deltas swamps former river beds and beaches all right these areas must be reforested i'd like to ask you a question this law, PD705, had been there since the early 1970s. Look at Naga River. Do we, have we planted, has there been a maintenance of forest or tree cover along Naga River? Because we have river banks on both sides, right? You will note, you will see that most of the river banks of Naga had been occupied already by houses and that is in violation of this law why did we allow the local government unit allow uh, the construction of these houses we have the national building code that must that should have been read alongside with pd705 there is no exception here all river banks must be planted with trees or reforested <clears throat> you have a three meter easement that must be uh, planted with trees there is another presidential decree that requires five meters from the edge of the uh, from the river but from the edge of the bank that must be planted with trees road rights of way okay along national highways we have rights of way former river beds a lot of subdivisions even in naga had been constructed over dead river beds or dead rivers now they have uh, river beds or uh, uh, creek beds it's not allowed under the law but we haven't really regulated them let's go to 
Section 35. Priority in terms of timber license agreement shall be given to the holder thereof. There is a, a preference for the actual occupant or possessor if you are applying for a timber license agreement. This is true to all other types of um, uh, uh, concessions. Uh, for fish pond, for example, if you are applying for fish pond uh, uh, lease agreement, uh, you will be given the priority if you are the actual occupant. Now, let's go to section um, 37 on forest protection. Section 37 says, Protection of all resources. All measures shall be taken to protect the forest resources from destruction, impairment, and depletion. Speaking of forest protection, there are two major classification of forest lands that have different levels and schemes of protection. What are these two? The first category or classification are the protection forests. What are protection forests? These are the protected areas and the proclaimed watersheds under the NIPAS. They are called set-asides or protection forests because they have been legislated or proclaimed for the public good. Their primary purpose is for what? Preservation and biodiversity conservation. They fall under the general category of national parks under Article 12, Section 3 of our Constitution. The second classification are the production forests. These forests are to be sustainably managed primarily for the utilization of the resources such as timber and non-timber forest products. Under our constitution, they fall under the category of forest or timber lands. And PD705 precisely is uh, it is about production forests, the protection of production forests. In forest, product, uh, in forest protection of production forests under PD705, we said before that there are two main government instrumentalities involved. Do you still recall? What are these two? Number one is the DNR as the primary agency. And the second one are the LGUs being the partners or co-managers of these forest areas. We have so many issues in uh, forest management. Okay, Even though the law provides that the forest must be protected, all measures must be um, done to protect the forest and all, its, uh, all the resources found therein. The first issue in forest management, take note, non-demarcation of forest boundaries. Earlier we've discussed the two major classifications of forest lands that uh, are of set-asides or protection forests and production forests. Knowing that the classification and boundaries on the ground is very important as management and activities 
will depend on what kind of forest is being managed. But, unfortunately, the meets and bounds of the forest lines have not been delimited yet. This is despite Article 12, Section 4 of the Constitution. What does this provide? The Congress shall, as soon as possible, determine by law the specific limits of forest lands and national parks, marking clearly their boundaries on the ground. Thereafter, such forest lands and national parks shall be conserved and may not be increased nor diminished except by law. The Congress shall provide for such period as it may, deem, as, as it may determine measures to prohibit logging in endangered forests and watershed areas. But for the past several years, the DNR has launched several reforestation activities. The DNR had even encouraged the use of fast-growing species, promised the communities the chance to harvest them, but many of the trees planted are not mature and the communities who planted them would like to harvest, but the DNR would not allow them because the area, it so happened, the areas involved are in critical watersheds. They have belatedly learned this. Lots of wasted money and opportunities and hopes lost. All right. The destruction, impairment, and depletion referred to here in this, RT, in this section pertain not only to the trees, but extends to the wildlife inside those forests. So we must correlate this section 37 of PD705 with RA9147. What is RA9147? The Wildlife Resources Conservation and Protection Act. This law aims to protect both wildlife and their habitat. And the habitat, of course, of the wildlife is the forest. In this RA9147, under Section 2, it declares as a policy to conserve the country's wildlife resources and their habitats for sustainability. Okay? And it is aimed to conserve and protect wildlife species and their habitats to promote ecological balance and enhance biological diversity. To pursue with due regard to the national interest, the Philippine commitment to international conventions, protection of wildlife and their habitats. Also in section 3 of uh, this law, all wildlife species found in all areas of the country, including protected areas, are within the scope of the application of RA9147. Alright. Now, for Section 38 of PD705, Control of Concession Area, there has to be a way for the licensee to uh, have that exclusive privilege to make use of the resources therein within his control. Again, read the case of Pickup Resources Incorporated versus Kahlo, decided on October 20, 2004. 
Let's go to section 39. Regulation. PD705 is all about regulation of forest utilization. All activities within the forest. Regulated. Not necessarily prohibited, but regulated because this is a production forest. Okay. Section 40, timber inventory. There must be an inventory of uh, in, in uh, of uh, timber in alienable and disposable lands and also in civil reservations again quantifying the resources found within uh, a forest area is necessary to determine if uh, when will be the next cycle in terms of productivity uh, putting economic value how much the uh, uh, concessionaire ought to pay the government for what uh, uh, depending on the amount of resources he takes from that forest land all right so this is all about economics section 41 the sworn there must be a sworn timber inventory report that must be prepared by the forest officers conducting the inventory <clears throat> why is it not enough that they are forest officers their oath of office uh, must uh, make them believable enough performing uh, in, uh, in the regular performance of their functions well it seems that even the law doubts the trustworthiness of forest officers so there is this requirement for a sworn statement that uh, such inventory reports must still be under oath to make the forest officers more accountable if there is a, um, a false statement on the actual number of timber found therein. They're prone to corruption. Section 42 on the participation in the development of alienable and disposable lands and civil reservations. They are given to those who can best help and those and to those who could generate <clears throat> a good management plan okay section 43 is about swamplands and mangrove forests these strips of mangrove forest shall not be alienated highlight or underline the phrase within section 43 strips of mangrove forests shall not be alienated now the second paragraph tells us about all mangrove swamps set aside for coast protection purposes shall not be subject to clear cutting operation alienation is prohibited simply because of the protection that swamp plants and mangrove forests give us if you will remember the super typhoon yolanda there were stories uh, uh, aired over the media about the saving of certain barangays or communities in Leyte because of the mangrove forests on their beach uh, fronts. That saved them. Okay, Whereas on the part of Tacloban City, the mangrove forests were cut, cleared, and replaced with what 
establishments, restaurants, beach, uh, beach resorts, and that cost that contributed to the death of so many in Tacloban City. I've been there, I've seen it myself a few months right after the uh, typhoon, uh, when no transportation yet was uh, being allowed because we were conducting uh, an assessment when I was the consultant of the World Bank. So we were developing a um, uh, kind of um, uh, uh, social amelioration program, kind of, together with DSWD. So I was the one, uh, I was the head of the team. And I saw how the mangrove forest could have protected Tacloban City were it not, uh, uh, where the city government would have kept that mangrove forest. Mangrove and other swamps which are not utilized or which have been abandoned for five years shall revert to the category of forest land. All right? Why does it take so long? Five years? I don't know. But I, I uh, it's my personal take that uh, this is very long. If you happen to uh, become a consultant or a congressman, perhaps uh, you could amend this law and shorten the period of five years. I will post uh, an article on the importance of swamplands, <clears throat> which was uh, prepared by the National Geographic uh, uh, by, uh, channel, okay, in BB. I post it in Blackboard. Section 44 of PD705 is about the visitorial power of the department. The power is vested actually with the DNR secretary, but it is being delegated to the field officers. So that's why the department head or through the director, qualified person designated by the department head. Visitorial power. What is the visitorial power? Well, just as the term implies, the power to visit or inspect is actually an inspection authority of the DNR over uh, uh, licenses, uh, permittees, concession areas, okay? If the forest land is also an ancestral land <clears throat> of indigenous peoples, the NCIP may also exercise visitorial powers and take appropriate action to safeguard the rights of the ICCs, the IPs, under the same contract. You have Section 57 of the Indigenous Peoples' Rights Act, that allows utilization of natural resources within ancestral domains. Most, if not all, of these ancestral domains are also located in forest areas. You have large-scale utilization of natural resources in Section 57 of IPRA, which is allowed under Paragraphs 1 and 4, Section 2, Article 12 of the Constitution. If there is a large-scale utilization of natural resources, of course, there is small-scale utilization of natural resources in ancestral domains. And that is provided for in Section 7B of IPRA. Okay? Which is also allowed under Paragraph 3, Section 2 of Article 12 of the Constitution. Let's go to Section 45. This is also very important. 
the authority of forest officers. They have the free entry. Highlight that uh, phrase uh, towards the end of the first paragraph. Free entry into areas covered by a license agreement, license, lease, or permit. Okay? And forest officers has the, have the authority to administer oath, take acknowledgement, just like notaries public, and also to take testimony in official investigations. Meaning to say they could conduct official investigations in relation to the implementation of any of the provisions of PD-705. Correlate this uh, Section 45 with Section 80 of PD-705 also. On the authority of forest officers to make warrantless arrests. Okay. They could arrest even without warrant. They could seize and confiscate tools and equipment used in committing the offense and the forest products. To better understand this function, authority of the forest officers, read the case of Crescentio versus People. GR number 205015. November 19, 2004. In the case of Talabis versus People, decided on March 4, 2020, the Supreme Court said that Section 80 of PD-705 contemplates two instances when a forest officer may commence a prosecution for violation of PD-705. This is another case, right? Talabis versus People. What are those two instances when a forest officer may commence a prosecution for PD-705? Number one, arrest based on an arrest for having committed or is committing an offense in his presence. Any of the offenses under PD-705. In other words, in your criminal procedure or in your criminal law, the uh, forest officer has personal knowledge of the commission of a crime whether it is in its attempted stage or in its uh, 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 completed states okay the second instance is when an offense is not committed in his presence and the commission is brought to his attention through a report or complaint in other words even if there is just a report or a complaint, he has no personal knowledge, a forest officer may, may still prosecute a person. But of course, the question comes around. Can he arrest without warrant a person if his basis is only a report or a complaint? Very good. I know you know your Bill of Rights, okay? <laughs> warrantless, warrantless arrest is only good when you have personal knowledge of the commission of the crime. But in both cases, the forest officer shall investigate the offender and file a complaint with a proper judicial officer authorized to conduct preliminary investigation so that an information may be filed in court. 
or is this a proper official that conducts preliminary investigation? The public prosecutor. Let's go to section 47. About mining operations. Mining operations in forest lands shall be regulated, conducted with due regard to protection, development, and utilization of other surface resources. Why only surface? There are also resources underneath the forest land. All right? This is a very limiting provision. Anyway, that's the provision of the law. Now, in so far as mining operations, the regulation of mining operations in forest lands is also provided for in RA 7942 or the Mining Act of 1995. Check the following provisions of the mining law. <clears throat> I'm posting the mining law in BB as soon as my lecture is over. Section 18 of the mining law about areas open to mining operations. Mining operations can be conducted, conducted in public or private lands, including timber or forest lands. Section 19, Mining Law. Areas closed to mining applications. Mineral agreement or financial or technical assistance agreement applications shall not be allowed. Where? In old growth or virgin forests proclaimed watershed forest reserves wilderness areas mangrove forests mossy forests national parks provincial or municipal forests parks green belts game refuges bird sanctuaries as defined by law and in areas expressly prohibited under the nipas okay these are close to mining operations. Totally. Section 69 of the Mining Law. Requirement for environmental protection. Okay. Why is this important? Because in Section 47 of PD705, these mining operations must be regulated. There is due regard to protection of the resources. So, environmental protection is provided for in the mining law every contractor shall undertake an environmental protection and enhancement program covering the period of the mineral agreement or permit that environmental program shall be incorporated in the work program which the contractor or permittee <clears throat> shall submit to dnr it shall include plans relative to mining operations and shall include among others reforestation of the mineralized areas mining law also provided in section 70 of it the requirement for environmental impact assessment or EIA we will discuss this separately all right what is EIA how does it operate what are the requirements what are the elements and the cases you have so many cases in fact if you have heard if you have watched the TV the issue on the Manila Bay the Dolomites Oshana, the petitioner in the, uh, who filed the case for the writ of Kalikasan before the Supreme Court, argues that the uh, project for Manila Bay, the uh, uh, putting up of Dolomite white sand beach, did not have environmental impact assessment by the very agency that requires it. 
Also, Section 71 of the Mining Law on Rehabilitation. Section 72 on the Timber Rights. Okay, a, con a mining contractor may be granted a right to cut trees or timber within his mining area subject to forestry laws, rules, and regulations. But if the land covered by the mining area is already covered by existing timber concessions, the manner of cutting must be determined by the mine's regional director. Why is it always the mine's regional director? This is cutting of timber. Okay? Why not pass it on the, the authority to monitor this or to grant the approval to the Forest Management Bureau? Hmm. Well, at any rate, the contractor is required to perform reforestation work. <laughs> well, let's just smile about it. You have Section 85 of the Mining Law, providing for mine wastes and tailing fees. These fees shall accrue to a reserve fund to be used exclusively for payment for damages to, among others, lands, agricultural crops, and forest products that are damaged in the course of the mining operation. Correlate this also with RA 7076, the People's Small Scale Mining Act of 1991, for purposes of regulating mining operations in forest lands. By the way, what is small-scale mining? Small-scale mining refers to mining activities which rely heavily on manual labor using simple implement and methods and do not use explosives or heavy mining equipment. Okay. Now in Section 5 of the Small-Scale Mining Law, there is a provision there that the areas not covered by existing forest rights or reservations and have not been declared as tourist or marine reserve parks and wildlife reservations may also be declared accessible or open for small-scale mining areas. In other words, if the area is covered by an existing forest right or reservation, no small-scale mining. Section 7 of the same law, small-scale mining law on ancestral lands. No ancestral land may be declared as people's small-scale mining area. This, uh, the reason for this Section 7 is provided for under the IPRA. Okay. This law includes forest areas as part of the definition of ancestral domains. That's why. Because in Section 3 of IPRA, RA8371, the definition of ancestral domain says, includes ancestral land, forests, pasture, etc etc now section 9 of ipra on the responsibilities of ips to their ancestral domains also talk about the responsibility of the ips to restore denuded areas that's in section 9 of ipra there's also a provision of ipra under section 58 on the environmental consideration. Okay. Ancestral domains found necessary for critical watersheds, mangroves, wildlife sanctuaries, wilderness, protected areas, 
forest cover or reforestation shall be maintained, managed, and developed for such purposes. Also, Section 60 of IPRA, exemption from taxes. Ancestral lands are exempt from real property taxes, except such portion of the ancestral domains as are actually used for large-scale agriculture, commercial forest plantation. Alright, why is this not tax-exempt? The state... Congress deemed it appropriate to impose fees for, for, for commercial forest plantation. Why? This is like a burden. This is like a preventive mechanism for them not to abuse. Otherwise, there will be heavier impositions by the government. Section 49 of PD705 on roads and other infrastructures. They may be constructed, but with the least impairment to the resource values of that forest land. The NIPAS law has a similar provision under Section 10. It says the Secretary of the DNR is empowered to perform any and all of the following acts, among which is the control, to control the construction, operation, and maintenance of roads, trails, waterworks, sewerage, fire protection, and sanitation systems within the protected area. Okay? Alright, let's jump to section 50. Logging roads. No indiscriminate construction of logging roads. I remember that uh, road going up to Mount Isarog, uh, going to Malabsay Falls, when I was the city legal officer, uh, the family who has a resort up there, the Woods couple, if you know them, uh, they closed that uh, city road. It's a dirt road. They closed it for the reason that uh, illegal loggers had been using it to uh, easily and quickly transport illegally cut timber. Okay, so uh, uh, some residents complained that they were being, uh, they, were, they are not able to use the road. So when I responded, I investigated, I found out that they have a good reason for uh, closing it. But of course, they have no power to close it. It's only city government. So I told the uh, Endro at the time, Mr. Oka Orozco, to help the Woods couple uh, monitor the uh, transport of illegal legally cut timber there and to help maintain the road and to have a a guard that will uh, uh, police the area section 51 pd705 the management of occupancy in forest lands highlight the word occupancy all right forest occupancy shall be managed in forest lands reason why because of the importance of forests to the nation, the state's police power has been wielded to regulate the use and occupancy of forests and forest reserves. This is the Supreme Court speaking in the case of Director of Forestry versus Munoz. 
Decided way back in 1968, 132 Philippine Reports, page 637, which was cited in the case of Land Bank versus Republic, GR number 150824, February 4, 2008. Okay, as I was saying a while ago, no activity must be done within the forest lands without permit, license, or agreement with the DENR, including occupancy. Same for six, Section 52. You know, squatting without lease or permits prohibited. There will be criminal prosecution for caingineros in Section 53 for squatters. When I was the Secretary General, of the Housing and Urban Development Coordinating Council working with uh, our Vice President Lenny uh, across the country requests had been made by our field offices and by local government units for the relocation of families living in forest areas among which are a few hundred families living in the Bicol National Park in Camarines Norte so we tried to make a plan for housing them um, somewhere else not in the forest areas and i believe that we have provided for their uh, resettlement all these provisions for the protection of production forests could have been effective in uh, practical terms were it not for the following issues number one the non-implementation of the local government provision on the LGU share in national health, national wealth. You know, the LGUs have the mandate to share with the national government the responsibility and the maintenance of ecological balance within their jurisdiction. But the local government code also gives the LGUs the right to share in the utilization of national wealth such as for mining, large-scale mining. Under RA7160, the LGC, under Section 289. Okay, read it. That's the basis for the sharing by the LGUs for the utilization of national wealth. Also in Section 290, it fixes the amount of share of local government units at 40% of the gross collection derived by the national government from the preceding fiscal year from what source? Mining taxes. From the gross of that. Also from royalties. Also from forestry and fishery charges being charged by the DNR. The, law, the LGU must share 40% of that. And all other taxes, fees or charges. All fines. All interests. In forestry, LGU's share in the national wealth is limited to the forest charges collected in timber harvesting of natural resource, natural forests. Okay. There's also, you know, the LGU's have so many responsibilities, but the national government may not be giving them enough uh, financial capacity to be able to do their responsibilities, just like in this COVID times. Okay, so many rules 
being imposed by the national government for implementation of the LGUs, but LGUs are not sufficiently capacitated to do them. The second issue, non-implementation of the rewards to informers under PD705. We have a section 78-B, rewards to informants for violations of uh, uh, prohibited acts uh, for a violation of the provisions of the PD705. Right? The law is quite clear that there is a reward to informants, but the DNR has not implemented this for quite some time. Also, there is massive issuance of tax declarations inside forest lands. Talk about forest protection. The forest officers themselves are the ones involved here. Issuance of tax declarations inside forest lands. The Constitution says that with the exception of alienable and disposable lands, all natural resources cannot be alienated. Forest land is an inalienable, non-AND land. Only those that are considered classified as agricultural may be so alienated. So in a long line of cases, the Supreme Court has ruled that titles issued inside forest lands are void from the beginning. Okay? No adverse, no long continuous possessions of these lands could even ripen into ownership. Okay? While this principle is clear, however, the reversion process is very low. You know, if you have to nullify the title uh, illegally procured, there is what is called as the reversion action. And it's the office of the Solicitor General that initiates this. But the reversion action process is very, very slow. We have so many forest lands where titles have been issued. We have much less legal work being done about it. Okay. Now, you also have um, Section 85 of PD705. Tax declaration on real property. There is an imprisonment of not less than two years, not more than four years. Quite a heavy penalty. But I haven't heard anyone incarcerated because of this. <sighs> I can only sigh and pray. You have uh, Section 55 of PD705 pertaining to wildlife. Well, this is quite controversial. Wildlife may be destroyed, killed, consumed, eaten, disposed of without the necessity of permit for the protection of life, health, safety, and property. My goodness. <laughs> you want to eat wildlife? How does it protect uh, health? Okay. COVID-19 came about because of uh, eating of wildlife by, uh, according to some studies, it originated in a, in a Wuhan market in China. Okay. Uh, now you, would, you have this provision. You can eat wildlife for the protection of life or health, my goodness. And the convenience of the people, right? Note, 
you can destroy wildlife just for the convenience of the people anyway don't worry anymore about this why because this provision is no longer valid it has been amended repealed by republic act 9147 the biodiversity law which now provides that under section 27 of the biodiversity law it's now illegal okay if you willfully knowingly exploit wildlife resources and their habitats including among others the killing destroying of wildlife species the only exemptions are the following you can kill and destroy without um, uh, committing any violation number one when it is done as part of the religious rituals of ips number two when wildlife is afflicted with an incurable or communicable disease, you can kill it, but do not eat it. Number three, when it is deemed necessary to put an end to the misery sustained or suffered by the wildlife, mercy killing, because you can no longer uh, cure the or treat the wildlife. <clears throat> Number four, when it is done to prevent an imminent danger to the life or limb of a human being. Alright? Suppose that we have a mountain lion. I haven't seen one. If we have a mountain lion in the Philippines. But suppose there is. And you happen to... You chance upon it. You are being attacked. You can kill it. To save human life. Number five. When the wildlife is killed or destroyed after it has been used in authorized research or experiments those are the only exceptions under the biodiversity law for killing destroying wildlife species okay now you have section 56 on recreation we're going to pause for a while and let's have a little rest it's about an hour already me doing all the talking so i'll see you in another hour Okay, stay tuned.